Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Mike Rutledge. I'm the director of arts, one of the teachers here. And uh, we're in the final week of a series that we've called Healthy Heart, Healthy Soul. And we're looking uh, through a book uh, by the author Peter Cesaro as our guide. And that book is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And what we've been doing is exploring this sort of inseparable uh, connection between emotions and spirituality. That's what we've been looking at, how those two connect. And uh, maybe you're just dropping in for the first time, whether you're here with us today, whether you're online with us. We're so glad that you're here. But I want to tell you, if you've missed any of these, definitely go to our Facebook page or k2thechurch.com or the app and watch the previous messages, or I would even say take the next step and buy the book, because there's just so much content. We can't even cover it all in the messages, and I'm afraid that you're going to miss out on some, some good stuff. So go back and look at that. But like I said, we're in the final week today, and we're looking at learning to love well, and we're going to be talking through some very practical steps in how to make our relationships better. And here's something I know about every single person in this room, everyone watching online and people that aren't even engaging with us today, every one of us wants better relationships, right? If you, if you have relationships all around you that are struggling and suffering, you want to improve those relationships. If you have good relationships, you want great relationships. If you have great relationships, you want amazing relationships. It's just what it is. And if you, here's what I'd say, is if you think honestly with yourself, you can identify, I'm pretty sure you can probably identify at least someone or some relationship in your life that's struggling, that you think to yourself, I wish I could resolve this conflict. I wish this relationship would be healed. And so we're going to be looking at that. That, uh, you know, and if it, the reality is that our emotions and our spirituality are most truly expressed in relationship. You don't believe me? Think about the last time you had conflict with someone and you blew a head gasket and you went away from that moment and you're like, what was wrong with me? I did not embrace a single value that I claimed to embrace in that conflict. Anyone been there or just me? Yeah, I think we all can relate to that. And so the, the thing that's interesting is that uh, the way we treat each other in the midst of our emotional reactions is truly the actual demonstration or manifestation of our spirituality. And the end result of our inability to live out the beliefs is that our relationships in the church look no different from the relationships in the world around us. And I would actually even say, in some cases, the relationships in our church look worse. Think about that for a second. But the utopian dream of living out the values of Jesus Christ is attractive to every single person in the world. So why doesn't this happen? Well, it doesn't happen because it's a relationship. And that takes more than one person, right? It's two. And, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, I would actually go as far as to say that I do not believe that any single person ever in the history of humanity has walked away from the Christian faith, faith because of the values that Jesus called us to live by. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. I think that people have walked away from the faith because they also desire the same values, but people who call themselves followers of Jesus haven't really stuck to the values that they claim. 
You know, no one, I've never heard, I've never had this conversation in my life. You know, I just wish Christians were, you know, a little less loving. But since they're not, I can't follow that. I can't believe in that stuff. I wish, I wish Christians were, were less forgiving. I wish they were angrier. If, if Christians would just be angrier, I could embrace the, the Christian faith. Or, you know, I wish, pe- I wish Christians were more disrespectful. They're just so darn respectful. I cannot, you know, this is, this has never happened. That conversation's never happened. <laughs> so... The question we need to answer is this. Why is it so difficult for people to love each other into this relational utopia we all dream of? And I want to try and answer that question here today, but there are two paramount concepts before we, I'm going to, I want to talk through uh, some, some concepts that uh, are some, some tools that Cesaro gives us in the book. Before I do that, I want to talk about two concepts that are really important for us to understand before we even get into that. The first is this, and if you're a note taker, here's the note section. Your emotional, spiritual health is only as healthy as your relationships. Your emotional, spiritual health is only as healthy as your relationships. What does that mean? Your connection between your emotions and your spirituality, the health of that is only as good as your relationship. Maybe, maybe a different way to say it would be like this. You know, I'm driving around in my car. I look at my dashboard. I have an oil light that can come on. It'll tell me when I'm going to run out of gas. I can tell if I'm going too fast, you know, and then you got the check engine light, which could mean your car's about to blow up or could mean your, your gas cap's not tightened properly. <laughs> we don't know. But what we do know when we look at our dashboard and we see a light come on, there's something wrong with something's going on. And what I want to say is that your relationships are the dashboard to your emotional, spiritual health. Okay? Now, the religious leaders, what's really interesting, the religious leaders of Jesus' time did not connect this. They failed to connect this, this principle. And Cesaro says in the book, quoting him, talking of the religious leaders, he says this. They were diligent, zealous, and absolutely committed to having God as Lord of their life. They memorized in the entire books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They prayed five times a day. They tithed all their income. They evangelized, but they did not link loving God with the need to be diligent, zealous, and absolutely committed to loving people. And we all know people like this, that they know it all, but you don't want to be around them. (laughs) Right? See, Jesus refused to separate our emotional, spiritual health from being with people. He hung out with the tax collectors. You know, those were like the government-appointed thieves and, and, and adulterers and prostitutes and, and lepers and Samaritans, were like, which were looked down on as these half-breeds. And he went to parties, and those same religious leaders criticized him for hanging out with those people. See, but Jesus had a different view. And when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? The greatest of all. You know what he said? Look at this. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And if he stopped right there, those religious leaders could have done a mic drop and stormed out of the room, nailed it. But the problem is he didn't stop there. He kept going. He said this, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the commands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So you can't separate your emotional, spiritual health from your relationships. But the second concept that's very important for us to understand and very difficult for us to understand 
is that we are not, I am not, you are not the center of the universe. Now, here's kind of interesting. Some American companies learned this the hard way. They, these companies had very successful slogans in English-speaking markets, and they thought, this is so successful, we'll just drop these into like our Spanish-speaking uh, markets, and it'll, it'll, be, it, it'll work fantastically. And they never considered the market. So Braniff Airlines, they had this, they had this uh, phrase called, and they, they would say, fly in leather. In the Spanish-speaking market, that meant fly naked. Now, some people probably love that, but they're out of business. Eastern Airlines had this one, we earn our wings daily in Spanish. That meant your final destination is in heaven following death. Now, the good news is you're going to heaven, but I know one thing, you're not going where your ticket says. So that's not all that great. They're out of business also. Then General Motors had their car, you maybe remember this, the Nova. That in Spanish literally meant doesn't go. <laughs> I, we actually had one in my family growing up. It mean, meant that in English as well. Uh, and then my favorite is this, Coors, <laughs> Coors had a slogan, turn it loose in Spanish, that meant suffer from diarrhea. <laughs> See, when you don't consider the others as different from yourself, you have a problem. And if, the, if it's good for me, it's good for you, if I like it, you'll like it mentality is problematic. It places me at the center of the universe and creates significant problems because we're not all the same and we don't experience things all the same. And when I enter a relationship with this mindset, I stop seeing others as individual, separate from me. And that leads to misunderstanding and frustration. And therefore, what happens is I begin to objectify people as someone who's either against what I'm trying to achieve or for what I'm trying to achieve, rather than thinking of them as wholly individual people. So, I'll share this. This is uh, my wife, Susie, and we had been married probably about uh, not quite 10 years, probably, and we went to see Jack Wilson. We were preparing to move out here, and <clears throat> Dave said, hey, you should talk to Jack. He's really helpful. So we did, and Jack was a psychologist, and he, he walked us through some stuff, and at that point, I, I just thought we had a great marriage. Uh, I think Susie would say the same thing, I, I think, at least, and, um, and, and I would still say that, actually. But after talking to him, he took us through this battery of tests called the Myers-Briggs, and we talk about this all the time. And, so, and he, he, we got done with that, and he said, you guys need to understand something about yourself. You are very different people. You're, you're opposite, almost. You're, you're very different. And so as he began to talk to us, he asked us, let me hear about like, conflict. And we didn't have a ton of conflict in our relationships. He said, tell me about what conflict looks like. And he listened, he said, okay, well, here's what I want you to understand is that because you are so different from each other, when you have conflict, something happens that you need to be aware of. And what that is, is that you, Mike, are interpreting Susie's words with your intention. And Susie, you're interpreting Mike's actions with your intentions. And the problem is you're so different, it's not always accurate. And so once we understood that we were different and we sought to actually understand the other person on a different level, our relationship went from good to even better. And we need to do this and view others as unique, sacred individuals, separate from me. And, and when we can do this, it, it live in the light of knowing that we're different and separate, we can achieve peace and harmony. And 
even when we don't see things the same way. I can be friends with people on Facebook who post stuff that I don't agree with. Did you know that? It's, it's, you can do it, I promise. Because if you remember one thing today, remember this. Because peace is not the absence of disagreement. Peace is God's grace and love amid disagreement, okay? Loving well is the goal of the Christian life, but it requires a lot of hard work and patience. Development. Cesaro presents these five tools for us to look at, okay? So again, remember, your emotional, spiritual health is only as healthy as your relationship. That's the first thing. And secondly, we're not the center of the universe. Now, let's look at how to apply some really practical tools. And uh, let's look at, maybe we'll call these the dashboard gauges in, in our relationship, spiritual, uh, emotional, spiritual health, okay? The first is speaking and listening. Speaking and listening is your first dashboard gauge. In James chapter 1, he, he says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Let me tell you what happens in conflict before we look at this verse. You say or do something, I get mad, and I go tell you why. Right? That's what happens generally. You do something or say something, I don't like it, I tell you. What he's saying is, see, you got it flipped upside down. You have two ears, you have one mouth, use them in proportion, and try and avoid anger. So seek first to understand before you seek to be understood. That's super challenging. When I'm in conflict, all I want and all you want is for each other to understand your viewpoint. And as long as you're both fighting for your viewpoint to be understood, it's going to be difficult to reach that end. What's interesting, though, is that just a couple verses later, he kind of takes it a step further. He says, those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is, what's it say? Worthless. In other words, don't tell me how spiritual you are. Don't tell me all of God's teachings and then talk to me like that. Because as soon as you start treating me that way and your emotions are running away with you and you're angry and you're raging at me, I know what your religion means because you're not living by it. And it's, again, super hard. So what he says, Cesaro says, he says this, when you are listening, seek first to understand the other person. And what does that look like? It means be quiet. Holy smokes. <laughs> Sometimes just be quiet and listen, not cueing your next response, but listening to truly understand what that person is saying to you. You make statements like, I, I can see what you're saying, I understand, or, you know, that makes sense. Reflect back what they've said to you. Make sure you're hearing it correctly. So seek first to understand. The second thing is when you're speaking, use I statement. Don't tell them what they've done. Tell them what you think or what you feel. Use I statements. Man, I feel really upset about this. Man, I, I, I thought you meant this when you said that. And continue until you have clarity around those things. That's the first dashboard gauge is, think, is speaking and listening. The second dashboard gauge is the Bill of Rights. 
And this is really neat. I printed this when I was going through this. I hung this on my fridge. In my con I conflict this weekend, and I failed on 10 of the 11. So I'm giving this message not out of expertise, but I got assigned. So that's what you need to know. But hopefully this will be helpful. Here's the good news. At least I know what I failed on, okay? So, but he says, Cesaro says, we, when we're in conflict, in order to achieve peace, we need to grant each other a bill of rights. And a bill of rights are the things that we're going to offer to you so that we can cohabitate or co-abide in, in the midst of disagreement. I'm just going to read these quickly, okay? And he says, I, I give myself and others the right to space and privacy. I give myself and others the right to be different, to disagree, to be heard, to be taken seriously, to be given the benefit of the doubt, to be told the truth, to be consulted, to be perfect, imperfect and make mistakes, to treat and be treated courteously and honorably, and to be respected. Let me ask you something. As I read that list, was there anything on there that you said, oh, no, 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 no. When I'm in conflict, I don't want that one. No. We all want these things. And this is what Cesaro says in the book. We need to grant those to ourselves and those to others. And imagine if all of those 11 things on that list were happening in a discussion around conflict or disagreement, what percentage better do you think the odds would be of achieving a positive outcome, even if you don't agree? Well, clearly, much better. So... We need to grant each other a bill of rights. Let me, let, me, let me show you what Jesus said about that. In Matthew, he says this. So in everything, do to others what they've done to you first, justifying your behavior. No, wait, wait, hold on. That's what we do. No, that's what we do. That's right. What it says is, do unto others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Wow. The golden rule. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Grant them the Bill of Rights. But what's interesting, he's not really all the way done yet because he says, well, who should I do that with? Well, he says, but I tell you, Matthew chapter 5, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Want to know who your enemy is? The person you're in conflict with. When you have conflict, that person can become your enemy. And so what you need to do is treat them the way you want to be treated. Well, wait, there's more. One step further, Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself. This isn't even the golden rule. This is like the palladium rule. Right? Not, don't treat them the way you want to be treated. Treat them better than you want to be treated. Grant them the Bill of Rights, and that's how you can achieve peace in your relationships. That's the second dashboard gauge. The third dashboard gauge is this. Stop mind reading. Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Here's the thing. Every time we make an assumption about someone who's hurt us or we feel they've wronged us or maybe they've disappointed us, we risk the possibility, even the probability, that I begin to believe a lie about that person. And I'm potentially tempted to share that with others. Can you, can you, that's what she said to me. Can you believe that? I can't, I can't believe he's dating her. He must be doing that because of that. You know, you, we start to create scenarios in our own minds and we don't know because we're just making it up on the fly. 
based on our own interpretation of what we think we know. And who knows how much we know. So we have to stop mind reading. And if you want to know what the other person is thinking, here's a great tool. Write this down. Ask them. Did you write? I didn't see anyone writing. Write that down. Ask them. Stop mind reading is the third gauge on your dashboard. And the fourth gauge is this. Clarify expectations. Look at Philippians 4, 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This verse actually says that the antidote to the anxiety in your relationships is making clear requests of God, but also of others. And here's what happens a lot of times. I just said stop mind reading, but what happens for us is we don't clearly articulate our hopes or what we're asking for in a relationship or what we want to see happen, and we're expecting you to mind read, and then when you don't mind read correctly and you don't fulfill what I'm hoping you think you know because you should be able to read my mind, I get mad at you. So clarify. Look at this, another verse. It says, what causes, this is James 4, what causes quarrels and fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask of God. And so in that conflict, first thing you want to do is ask God, but also make your requests clear to the person that you're talking about. Don't expect them to know any more than you expect yourself to know what they're wanting. That's the fourth. And the fifth one I can't even spend a ton of time on, but it's this. It's called allergies and triggers. And we all get, you know, medical, like you understand what a medical allergy is. Like I had allergies my whole life growing up and every Every week I had to go to the doctor and I'd get shots in my arm and the allergy stuff would, you know, help me build up immunities and never really got rid of it, but it helped quite a bit, you know. And then we moved out here when I was, you know, 17 years ago. We moved out here and the first two years were like, like bliss. I had no allergies for the first time. And then year three, they came back with like a vengeance. I'd never had them so bad. And I go to, I go to the doctor and they test me again. He's like, well, I found out you're allergic to dogs, had one, and you're allergic to cottonwood trees. That's the thing you're most allergic to. We have one of those right outside our bedroom window. Every morning I would wake up, my eyes were swollen like this, and I'm like I'm itching. Oh, okay. So we understand what allergies are in a medical sense, but there are also emotional allergies and triggers. And what that is, is an, an emotional allergy is an intense reaction or predetermined response to something in the present that reminds us, consciously or unconsciously, of an event from our history. Have you ever been in that conversation with someone where you're just talking or maybe you're arguing, whatever it is, but all of a sudden, out of the blue, this person sort of responds in this over-the-top way you don't get? This can happen if we don't know what's triggering it. And so often, so many of us, probably all of us, have these, this history of some things in our life that just trigger response. It takes me back to a place I don't want to be, and in that moment, I'm living back in that time. You know, there, there's a great story. I'll just, I'm not going to read the scripture. I'll just say it's in John chapter 5, and uh, 
Jesus, he's in Jerusalem, and he goes to this place called Bethesda. And in Bethesda, there was this pool, this big giant pool, and it would become like soda pop, you know, it would bubble up. And when it would bubble up, the first person that could get in the pool of Bethesda would be healed. Wouldn't that be amazing to have today? I'm like, let's figure that one out. But so there's, Jesus comes across this guy, and uh, this guy had been there for 38 years, 38 years. He'd been there, and he was disabled, and Jesus walks up to him, and he says, what's the deal, man? Don't you want to get healed? And he says, well, I do, but, but every time the pool bubbles up, when I'm trying to get in, there's no one to take me, and I'm trying to get in, and someone beats me in. Well, Jesus ends up going on and healing him, and I, I'm, the point of the story isn't, I'm not telling you this because I want you to know about the bubbly pool or whatever. What I want you to understand is that this guy had a predetermined script. For 38 years, he realized every time the pool bubbles up, someone's beating me into the pool, and I'm going to be here again tomorrow waiting, and it's not going to happen. See, when we have broken relationship and we have history in our past and the ways we deal with things, we get into these predetermined responses and these allergic reactions to certain moments. And the only way we can avoid those is if we're trying to seek the other person and under, trying to seek understanding of what the other person is experiencing rather than trying to get our message across. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to call the band up this morning. We're just going to close with one more song. And uh, there's a song in this uh, lyric in this, the chorus. It, sa- it says this really beautiful thing. It says, I find myself here on my knees again, caught up in grace like an avalanche. And I began thinking about this. In, in our relationships, you know, I gave that Bill of Rights, I read that Bill of Rights to you and talked about receiving grace and I just was overwhelmed by the thought of the grace that Jesus lavished on us first, allowing us in our sin and in, in our shortcoming. He, he was willing to love us anyways. And then I began to think about the times in my life when someone went beyond what was just or right and they extended grace in my life. I was out of line. I did something I shouldn't have done. I began to think to myself, imagine if all of us lived in relationship where our sole goal was to lavish the other person with such grace that they felt like an avalanche was coming at them. See, the utopian dream of Jesus' values living in our life is achievable, but it's hard work. Peace is not the absence of disagreement. It is the presence of God's grace amid our disagreement. And that grace, like an avalanche, can flood our relationships and bring healing in places that you've, you've got scripts. We all do. You may have a script right now that God's grace could touch and change today, this very morning. So as we close, I want to I ask you to do something with me. Would you just stand up? And uh, I'm going to pray in just a second. The band's going to sing this song to close it out. But I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think. First of all, I want you, I want you to ask this question. 
God, what are you saying to me right now? What are you saying to me right now, God? And then I want you to think about this. Is there someone in your life? Are there multiple people in your life that God is saying, I want you to flood them with grace like an avalanche? I want you to pour your bill of, my bill of rights upon them. And if he is, I want you to ask him, if God is revealing that person to you, what do you want me to do with this? Pray with me if you would. Lord, we're overwhelmed by the grace and the love, the love that we'll be celebrating next Sunday. Love that would send your son to a cross, an innocent man to die on behalf of us. I just pray that we could live in such a way that we would demonstrate that same love to others. Help us in our relationships. Make us emotionally healthy in our spirituality. May we get resolve and may our relationships flourish. May our relationships honor and glorify you. Bring glory to your name. We know this is what you desire, so use us in this way. Lead us and guide us. We ask this in your name.